exhibition there, which is Scott Mallon's show, Weavings, Stainings, and Paintings. And I'll let you know about some great things coming up at the Museum of Vancouver and the Frames of Mind film series. Thank you for joining me on the Arts Report. Today, I'm your host, Sarah Lapsley. Um, As I've become more involved in the station, I've been checking out a lot of the programming, driving around town. And I've got good reception right out to Burnaby, so I hope you're listening in your car. Um, And of course, you can live stream it from anywhere, anytime. And I've been really impressed with the programming from news to a diversity of different music programming um, from all genres. So come on down, whether you're a student or a community member, and learn about broadcasting. I've been also involved in the training, which has been phenomenal, doing some spoken word training, which was really fun. We did a fake interview with Trent Reznor. Um, from Nine Inch Nails? No, Tool. Someone from Tool, who also has a band called Pucifer, which is horrible. Um, so anyways, there's a f- it's a phenomenal dedicated bunch here. I was also at the strategic meeting, planning meeting, and it was wonderful. And we're just envisioning a lot of good things to come, and everyone's working hard every day. There's some new organizational thing that's making it easier and more accessible to be around here at CITR and we even have an intern from high school Ada and he's been great and I know he's having a wonderful experience and Megan uh, the other arts report host and I were offered by him a Turkish delight and we were really thrilled because we're like we're in Narnia eating Turkish delights if you recall the wicked winter witch fed children Turkish delights to kind of woo them into evilness. So um, just a bi-weekly call out to arts volunteers. We do need people. If you're involved in the station as an existing member or want to come on, we always need people to produce segments for the show. So please email us at arts at citr.ca. Uh, we need lots of voices. Otherwise, just listen to mine for an hour. Um, so let's get into it. I guess I just want to follow up from last week, or the last time I was on, May 1st. I spoke to Tom Wright, the Director of Artistic Planning at Vancouver Opera, about the production of Tea, A Mirror of Soul. So they were very nice and gave me wonderful, sort of close-to-the-front tickets. Um, And I went on opening night, and it was fabulous. So there was a lot of talk about the opera being a mix of East and West. Um, And I think it significantly leaned more to the East, but really it had a feeling that sort of transcended cultures and was in the realm of something totally original and new. So there were three acts, um, each evoking an element of water, stone, and paper. Um, And it it was sort of slow-moving, not a lot of action, and sort of a deceptively simple storyline, very meditative. So the first scene, the prince is like a monk, and he's surrounded by a chorus of other monks, and he's staring into his empty tea bowl, and he starts to tell the story about 
the quest, and so it goes back into the story. So the quest for a book of tea, which apparently is the map of the soul, and his sort of divine love for the princess Lan, um, who is betrayed by her brother, who's trying to steal the book of tea from them. Um, and at the end, we come back to that scene with the tea ceremony where he's sort of bitter, staring into the empty bowl, and it kind of loops around, almost like something that Rodney Graham does in his work of, you know, it brings you right back to the beginning and starts all over again. Um, my favorite singers was Lou, and she represents the messenger of spirit and sung by Nin, Ning Liang from Beijing. And um, the emperor, who represented tradition or culture, was played by Kurt Eichelberger. Um, and I love how emperors and operas, they always have big, wonderful, deep bass voices. Uh, the costumes, I can't even say, they were totally over-the-top spectacular, lots of red and gold and oranges and, um, and moving sets. So, like, cubes with Chinese symbols on them and dragons, and they'd open up and, like, little creatures would come out. Um, the music really was totally the highlight of it. Um, very unique orchestration, so really brilliant. And I think I said last time that he's really going to stand the test of time as a contemporary composer and a very accessible contemporary composer. I think we have this idea that classical contemporary composers make weird noises that aren't really pleasurable to listen to, but that's not true. Um, just the way he did the orchestration was unreal. So very muted. They used the full complement of symphony, um, but very muted sounds, but very dynamic, very subtle in the background, an unusual use of instruments, some things that aren't typically used, like the bass flute. They'd sort of play a motif that sort of accompanied um, the lovers. And like the use of percussion. So even the orchestra would sometimes flip their pages or make little vocal noises that would create this ambience. The stars of the show totally were these three percussionists, the beautiful women dressed in black, and they played different things. Um, they, they stood in these sort of elevated cubicles, plastic cubicles with giant bowls of water that were lit up, and they would smack on the water, or they would sort of pick up the water and dribble it through their hands and it was all amplified or they'd use cups on the top and they'd kind of make these sucking sounds at other times they'd bang with little sticks on these large pieces of parchment paper um, or other times stone pots so they got the most applause at the end people really gave them a big hand the music was truly a wonder and we were really lucky to have this opera here um, as Tom Wright said it played in Philadelphia and they went to Santa Fe, and they were going to just put it away. And we took it. And this opera really, you know, belongs in Vancouver. Um, so kudos to them for bringing it here. Um, I'm just, you know, trying to be a bit of an art critic on the Arts Report. Um, I was a little, like, less keen on the libretto part of the opera. So there's libretto, which is sort of the spoken element of it even though it's it's sung but it tends to be less melodic this isn't typical opera and then arias which are like the choruses so the crowd pleasers lots of hooks um there were no arias and so i was like okay with that but the the librettos tended to go more to the western um flavor of singing like they kept referencing puccini so this like typical kind of caterwauling and it didn't seem to me to fit in with the spirit of the music at its best. I think the libretto parts um, were 
at times they would go more into Eastern um, melismas. So, and at that point, it was like way more congruent. Um, but anyways, who am I to criticize? I can't opera sing. Um, but I love the rituals around classical music, like how the conductor makes their entrance and the orchestra stands up. And he holds them sort of in suspension and then lets them go. And the music starts like he's this magician. And we're very fortunate in Vancouver to have the sophisticated and sensual Jonathan Darlington from Lapworth, England. Um, He conducts all over the world and he's very popular in France. See, I'm like breathing a little (laughs) heavily as I'm talking about Jonathan Darlington. Um, Honored with the title Chevalier des Arts et des Lettres in France. So... Like, that's a big award. All I have to say is I love you, Jonathan. You get two-for-one lap dances in perpetuity. Anyways, um, I don't do what I did and neglect to read the program synopsis beforehand because, like, I didn't know really what was happening in the opera to the extent that I should have, despite the subtitles. They reference tea in various contexts. And I went with my friend Sharon, and at the end, we're like, we don't even know what that means, tea, but... When we looked in our program later, we found out that, you know, it's a metaphor for spirit or perhaps, you know, quintessence. So the the spirit that infuses everything. Um, the text was really beautiful in some parts, simple and romantic, yet charged with eroticism in, in parts and sort of beautifully universal and spiritual like Rumi. And I sort of wished I had a notebook to write some of it down. So, you know, thumbs up to the people who dressed up for the opera. Vancouver is sort of notorious for people just being casual. And, um, you know, some people really dressed up and it was nice to see. So that's it for Vancouver Opera um, for the spring. They'll be back in October with Tosca. So I will hope to see that um, coming up. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. You gotta wait until I cook it. You gotta wait until I cook it. You gotta wait, wait, wait till I put it on your plate. You gotta wait until I cook it. Calling all foodies, don't miss Eat Vancouver Food and Cooking Festival taking place on Friday, May 24th, Saturday, May 25th, and Sunday, May 26th at BC Place Stadium, Vancouver, BC. For more festival details, visit eat-vancouver.com. Purchase your tickets online and save. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report. I'm Sarah Lapsley, coming to you live from CITR 101.9 FM. So I want to talk to you now about a wonderful event that I went to on May 9th, and it was the opening of the artist Scott Mallon's uh, exhibition, Weaving, Stainings, and Paintings. So it runs from May 9th to the 17th, so you've got two more days to see it. And it's, the gallery is open sort of limited hours between 12 and 6. So the show was monochromatic, so black and white, some shades of gray, 
Um, and it was all sort of on paper. So some were hung on the wall, just like regular paper with like kind of sketching or heavy charcoal. Um, the ones I really liked were the weavings. So um, he had, if I recall correctly, he told me he had sort of spattered sort of ink and, and paint and then cut them into strips and then and then wove them together. Um, and so at, at first when I was looking around, I was like, I can't quite get the feel or, you know, can't get the theme. Um, so, but then I was, I was looking at them on the wall, so these weavings in different shapes. And I was like, oh, they look like continents. And then I started talking to Scott and I noticed behind were these um, long pieces of cloth that he had dyed. So the, the stainings. And I was like, oh, they're like shrouds, like the Shroud of Turin. And then I was looking at Scott and he's got this very bold kind of beard, like Methuselah kind of beard. And then I was looking at the weavings and they kind of look like reeds. So maybe like Moses. So I was like feeling a very Old Testament kind of vibe. So I really like, you know, what he's done. And I think if he keeps doing it, it's going to keep getting better and better. And I just want to say, you know, great beard. A lot of guys have beards, but they're not nervy enough to just really grow it like huge, like down to the middle of your chest. So I think, you know, it looks good. Um, so anyways, <laughs> I ended up you know, spending most of my time in the evening talking uh, to the bartender, Andrea, this wonderful woman, and she told me all about the space. And it's sort of one of the rare, cool spaces in Vancouver. Like in other cities, you know, they take these kind of places for granted, like old kind of beat up, cool spaces with creaky floorboards and peeling walls and, you know, neat architectural features and we barely have any of that in Vancouver and you can usually count on them being sort of burned down or ripped down um so she told me about what the space was and it's run by this place called the Toast Collective and they're sort of like a loose clatch of groups or individuals that use the space for ongoing events or uh, sometimes individual events and so you know, after I went home, I thought, oh, I'd really like to talk to her and have her on the show. Um, so her name is Andrea Creamer, and she is part of um, the Toast Collective. And so I talked to her today, and yeah, just I'll just let it play, and um, we'll touch base again in a few minutes. Yeah, so it was great to meet you at the Toast Collective. Yeah, definitely. So what is the Toast Collective? Uh, the Toast Collective is a community collectively run space. Um, we call ourselves a DIY, uh, food-centric, art-centric uh, space. Um, I think it's had a, a bunch of different visions um, over the five years that it's been in existence because it kind of depends on who who's a member, who's a member and kind of uh, motivating the space. Um, but it is a collectively run space by uh, currently five different collectives. So there's kind of 50 people that are involved in the in the daily running of the space. So what are the daily runnings of the space? Um, there currently is yoga. Um, there's uh, my collective, which is Junction or Junction Kickball League. Um, it started uh, the space 
started from the involvement of a, of a guy named uh, Charles Latimer. You might be familiar with him, Charlie. Uh, he went to UBC. I believe he studied environmental sciences. Um, and so, um, yeah, there's that. And then there's uh, a Violet Wire Collective, which is like an event-based collective uh, run with my my friend and partner on the lease, uh, Jason Ayuni. And um, there's a new new group of girls um, that just got involved, Veggie Love, a vegan food group. Um, how many have I said? Who am I missing? Yoga. Beer Cat Brewing Co-op. Cooperative. And, um, and we also, I guess, then also have um, regular... Um, regular event usage from uh, Empress, which is Mount Pleasant um, Community Choir. Uh, it's their uh, their wait list from the other community choir that runs out of Mount Pleasant. Um, and I'm trying to think what else is regularly booked. We have a permaculture that happens once a month as well, so it's kind of regular. And then other things that happen in the space are um, kind of uh, one-offs or, um, you know, as per, you know, per email and figuring out particular types of events or, or workshops or space rentals for maybe rehearsals or something. So um, if you want to have an event, you can either get involved on in an ongoing basis with your group or mm -hmm. you can rent it for a one-time yeah. thing? And, um, yeah, and f yeah, you can. And, and I mean, fee structures, uh, I won't talk about any of that because it really varies depending on how the space is used. Um, we try to be zero, zero barriers um, and quite an accessible uh, place for people. Um, and I mean, the permaculture right now is also um, paying partly in seed stock. So it's not just, just uh, money. We're definitely, uh, we're not a registered not-for-profit, but we're, we're, we work on no profit, if that makes sense. Right, so covering your costs. Covering our costs. But uh, but definitely, it's more about uh, having exciting people involved in the space. Uh, you know, being creative and and, and uh, developing community in a variety of different ways. Yeah, tell me about that. This idea of public space. And when we talked at the opening, it was sort of a new idea to me. Like mm -hmm. spaces that are restricted versus something that's open and barrier free. Um, I think. In Vancouver, we're constantly coming up with um, or coming across uh, barriers of space, a lack of lack of public space. Um, I mean, I'm also an artist, and a lot of my own practice looks at um, how people um, access or use space or how space is governed. And I think that in, in BC and in Vancouver in particular, um, we're really tied and caught up with a lot of different types of bylaws and, and legislation that um, governs on how we use space. So then it also ultimately affects on how we can impulse. Um I mean, there's so many different types of uh, people in, in Vancouver um, and, and elsewhere in the province that are, you know, have have alternative ideas of, of, um, of cultural production. Um, and I think that that comes comes in the form of, of smaller spaces like ours, um, things that happen in public where there's where there is maybe no fee and no, no profit being made, but something is still being created and, and the value and the drive comes from, from the individuals um, and less to do from a from a business standpoint or 
or directives or or you know like quotas to be met um ticket sales or whatever um it's really about um meeting meeting different people and involving different people in a, in a place um and and having fun fun things happen or having uh creative things happen mm-hmm. so tell me about your particular space um the, the, about the toast. Yeah. Well, um, we started five years ago. Um, Char- like I said, Charles Latimer, Charlie Latimer started it. Um, it's uh, located um, on Kingsway. We like to joke that it's on the non gentrified side of the street um, near Fraser. And uh, we're kind of protected in the middle of the block, we like to think, or hope right now. Um, and it originally started because Charlie lived upstairs in one of the apartments. I think there's six, six apartments upstairs. And he saw that the space was constantly being turned over. He had just got um, the kickball um, league. Uh, we call it a league, but it's really an informal drop-in, again, just about uh, meeting people in Vancouver. He was also somewhat new to Vancouver um, and wanted to meet people. And he just postered and then gathered a group of people. And then from there... Um, and from new friends and, and, you know, makers and, excuse me, artists, uh, they decided to approach the landlord about this um, space, this storefront space that was in the on the ground level, had constantly kind of, since he lived there, been turning over from like a thrift store and a makeshift church and a bunch of other kind of uh, maybe failed business models at that time. And uh, so I think it started with eight individuals that um, all had, uh, you know, particular interests, invested interests into the space. And then um, the idea was originally it was going to be a, uh, like a little cafe, uh, I understand, with uh, lots of breads and different spreads or something. That's why it's called the Toast Collective. But um, that, that idea kind of lost steam. So um, from there, it just kind of became, I think, a, a, a project that... Um, Charlie is a really uh, excitable and, and, and interested and invested person in a lot of different projects. And I think he said yes to a lot of great ideas. And from that, I think it's just kind of grown through word of mouth. I mean, we do have a website, but um, there's been a lot of different types of projects that have happened in the space. Like I said, it really depends on who who's decided to, you know, be in there. And I think we, we try to really be an, an empty an empty room or have like I mean obviously there was some furniture and when you came there was art but I think it's supposed to be kind of like this place where you can like pour pour yourself into and something happens um, so we're not always an art gallery and we're not always set up like a living room and we're, we don't um, consider ourselves a venue mm-hmm. um, we we do um, you know since I've I've been involved uh, kind of indirectly for many years and as I've been more directly involved since the fall uh, I know that there is a hesitation to use the word word venue because that you know uh, insinuates that there's only one type of thing happening there right but people do I mean there's lots of different types of artistic practices or or creative practices that um, don't use a venue they use a place or a space right Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think it's about activating that and having that agency within within whether you're um, not involved in the space and you come in and you're excited by it like when I was speaking to you or or um, or you become you know involved in some way and I think that that's why we've managed to to 
you know, kind of keep going how we have. Yeah, so kind of a neutral container for whatever people are bringing in at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so how do you see this sort of community building that you're doing as sort of an art form in itself? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, for myself, these types of projects are definitely an extension of my own practice, which is about um, the consideration of public space um, and politics and, um, you know, land usage in particular. Um, Gentrification, a lot of different things that I'm particularly interested in. And I think that, um, you know, there's as we because we work collectively everyone has uh varying politics and var- varying under- understandings but we do um have collective meetings where we we try to come up with um you know uh visioning what what's happening in the space right um and also it is great to get people involved in the space so i mean as an extension of an artwork yeah i do i do think it kind of i mean but i think also in other contexts if you're looking at, at it in in other ways it also um, you know, is maybe um, you know against against some types of politics because it, it it's occupying it's we're occupying a space in in a in a maybe tenuous way. We're back on CITR 101.9 FM. This is Sarah Lapsley, and we were just talking to Andrea Creamer from the Toast Collective. Um, and I went there for the first time to see Scott Mallon's show, so it's still up till the 17th. And you can see some of photographs of his drawings at www.smallondrawings.tumblr.com. Um, and, yeah, the Toast Collective is cool. They've got all sorts of stuff going on on a regular basis they've got community yoga kickball veggie love collective like nut cheeses yum um and violet wire union so different events um and so if you want to get involved or find out more about using their space um you can check out their page at to- at thetoast.org so they've got a great website with photos and so on and and they have some of their values listed which i think is so nice like respect sharing, diversity, creativity, versatility, inclusivity, cooperation. I think those are all really nice things. And there's an event going on there tomorrow that looks good. It's a show. I'm not sure of the time, but it's all over Facebook. You can Google it, um, the Toast Collective. And it's a songwriter. I don't know anything about him either, but I know the name. He must be local. His name is J.R.L. Phelps. And his band is called the Downer Trio. So here's a nice song. He's playing tomorrow night, Thursday, May 16th, at the Toast Collective on 648 Kingsway. That's at 12th. And here's his song called um, Then Slowly Turn.
Hi, this is Sarah. I'm on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Joel R.L. Phelps and the Downer Trio. They're playing tomorrow night at the Toast Collective on Kingsway. Now, I'm smiling because I feel pretty dumb. Joel R.L. Phelps is not from Vancouver. He's a songwriter, according to Wikipedia, from Montana, and was originally part of the indie rock band Silkworm. And the Downer Trio has played with notable acts such as television, Billy Bragg, Low, Bonnie Prince Billy, and Modest Mouse. So, hate to say this, my bad. But anyways, that sounds pretty cool to see Joe R.L. Phelps in, um, in a small venue like the Toast Collective, and it might actually get me out of the house. Um, last week on the 8th, Megan Thomas, our host of the Arts Report, talked about the Chernobyl Opera and did a really interesting interview with them. So the Chernobyl Opera is going on. Last night it opened and it runs till the 19th at the Carousel Studio Theatre. Um, and it tells the story of survivors of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor. Um, and the money goes, I think, to charity to help people um, of that horrible and heartbreaking story of a nuclear disaster. And, and one of the women that Megan interviewed knew a lot about it. And uh, wow, it was really informative and, and hideous. Let's hope um, that never happens again. So tonight at the Frames of Mind Film Festival, film series. So it's a monthly mental health film series at the Pacific Cinematheque. I sometimes go. Um, and tonight is a great film. It starts at 730 called Bob and the Monster. So some of you may know him. Um, he's from um, Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. And he played in a lot of bands um, in the 80s and in LA, I guess the kind of Red Hot Chili Peppers scene um, with his band Thelonious Monsters and so in the trailer for the film it shows really cool footage of him just completely blitzed out of his mind and so the people interviewed in the film and there's a lot of really sort of luminaries rock luminaries interviewed in the film saying you know how talented he was what a shining star he was and he was like utterly destroying himself, like with a $500 a day heroin habit. And, you know, it's it's really unbelievable that he survived considering other people have passed away from addiction, like with much less um, chaos. But um, he did survive. And it, it sounds like it's meant to be that he survived because he got heavily recovery oriented. He cleaned up and now he's a gifted counselor. Um, and apparently he's like working um He's got his own website, a recovery show, a recovery website, a radio show. I think it's Hollywood Rehab Services. So you can Google him. His name is Bob Forrest. Um, and the movie tonight is at Frames of Mind, Bob and the Monster. And so, yeah, also keep an eye on the Frames of Mind uh, film series. Uh, it's mo- uh, moderated by Dr. Harry Karlinski. He's a psychiatrist here at UBC. Um, so they always have good films. And so I just wanted to play a song by Thelonious, Thelonious Monster, and it's called Swan Song. And it's for all the addicts who are still suffering out there.
for a taste of the classics with a twist. Join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos, Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. A billion dollars on the ground, all stretched out and uncurled. Would extend about four times around the circumference of the world. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the commercial drive area at Bone Rattle Music Limited, High Life Records, and People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or online at citr.ca. Hi, this is Sarah Lapsley. We're on CITR 101.9 FM. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> Just got a message from my best friend, Todd Fancy, who says, my mouth is dry. I need water. Well, Todd, I have a big coffee here, so I'm drinking that, and I'll try to be less creaky. And I know it's not your birthday this Friday, May 17th. Happy birthday, Todd. You're a great guy. Um, so I want to talk next about you are here. It's the Emily Carr University grad show. Um, and so I went on May 4th. It was the opening and sort of the graduating night. And it was a wonderful feeling. All these students dressed up in their proud families and flowers. I've been living in Vancouver for like 22 years, maybe. And I still haven't learned to not take my car to Granville Island. It's always like a parking scrum. So anyways, nerves got frayed, my mom and I. Uh, sorry, mom. But um, we went to the show. So in one section, it's sort of the undergrad area. Um, and so there were a few really exemplary works that I thought. One was called Stacks, and it's won the award in the ceramics area. So it's sort of an aquamarine-colored sort of mono colored uh, 12 little shelves and on the shelves are various sort of vessels and bowls and uh, flasks so it's really cool um, another one I saw was also like beautifully crafted um, sort of these almost look like kind of Tibetan prayer wheels so it was like teak wood and steel and then they were suspended vertically from these nylon cords. So I really liked those. Um, there was this other painting. It almost looked like it was airbrushed. It was called Holy Peace. And it was all these snakes in this cool pastel colors. And then a film upstairs. Um, I can't remember the title, but it sort of implied that you needed patience to watch it. And you do need patience to watch it because it's it sort of, you sit in one of those beanbag chairs and it's a big screen and it's like, sitting in an, a west coast redwood forest and it just sort of pans like minutely every second around so you could sit in there for a long time and meditate um i i can only handle a few minutes um and then when you go into the charles h scott gallery it's the master's level students graduating students and so you could really tell the difference which makes sense because they've been studying longer and practicing longer and are more grounded in theory um, and my wonderful beautiful cousin Liz Knox was an artist in the show so I spoke to her and she told me a little bit about the show she was also the valedictorian for the graduating class so I first asked her sort of what message she gave as the valedictorian for this show so 
just loading for some reason here. Let's see if it'll go. I talked about, um, I, I sort of summated our experience. I, I talked kind of about what I just said now, um, about like that, that sort of conflation of perspective and, and how everything felt so immediate and how a part of this, a part of what was interesting to me was the way our practices changed, like looking at people's work when they came in and, and now as we're all in, in this exhibition, a lot of the work and a lot of the practices have shifted a lot. Um, and then I just talked about making my strategy for um, for continuing to have my actual work match my um, aspirations more closely is to make a lot of work. And I think that that's like the real, it, it's a quote from Ira Glass that I, I can't quite paraphrase at the moment, but it's it's about making a like, huge volume of work. And in that way, you're able to get your your actual work and your aspirations to be more in line with each other. Hmm. So do more work. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, typical grad school attitude. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I enjoyed the show, and in particular, of course, I loved your work because we're related. And um, just for everyone, it it's a text work with little sort of vignettes or stories, and it flashes on the wall for a minute or two and then flashes away. So... And I was when I went back to see it again, I was like, oh, these are all kind of violent, or they come to a bad end somehow. Um, sort of, yeah, they're, they're all, um, there's a lot of violence or um, sexuality, or it's, it's kind of like a, it seems to present like a dark view in a way, but at the same time, it's quite funny, like the way things are worded is quite humorous, especially each, um, vignette, I, I like that term for them, each vignette as a whole, um, are, they have a kind of humorous nature, even though they're a little bit dark, but the actual text itself was taken, like each, each segment of text, each vignette represents one film, and so the text was taken from imdb.com's user-generated content advisory, and that's why the, um, the way things are described is so idiosyncratic and kind of quirky because it's multiple voices of multiple different people from really their own perspective of the things that happen in movies that you would comment on. So that's why it's kind of like a, a bleak perspective at first at first glance, why it's just like the violence and the sex and the drinking and all of that stuff. But then when you read one vignette, there'll be really funny moments where it'll say like, old ladies portrayed as drunk. Right. Wow, that's so cool. So you coalesced different kind of plot synopses or comments. Yeah, so each um, each vignette is one film. And then was there any meaning to it sort of coming on and off? Yeah, I I wanted the form to, uh, to really evoke something about film culture. And so when I decided to do it as a projection, um, I decided that I... The best way to to really show that would be using like the kind of form that is used for credits, and so the like beginning sequence of credits from older films. You know, at first it's like the the most renowned actors or the mo- like the protagonist, whoever played the protagonist, their names come up first and flash like are on the screen and then fade out before the like scrolling text mm-hmm. happens. And so I was inhabiting that um, visual vernacular. Wow, that's great. And so 
like, was it grounded in any sort of theoretical, like, school or theory of art, like this particular text-based work that you do? Well, there's um, there's a long history of text-based work within, like, conceptual practices and then post-conceptual practices and and those sort of works. And so my work does fit into into that kind of trajectory. So whether you're thinking about an artist like John Baldessari from the 60s and 70s or someone like Fiona Banner from much like from like the early 2000s and she's still practicing today even even Baldessari is um yeah it, it fits into that sort of uh, tradition uh, mm-hmm. the like linguistic turn in art the other piece that I really enjoyed is sort of across the way from yours, which was the um, nylon art Catherine piece. Catherine Susie's work, yeah. Yeah, Catherine is, um, she's a, an interesting artist and a designer, and she uses, um, it's, I think it's like nylon socks or some kind. It's cast-off hosiery, and she creates all of her stuff from this cast-off hosiery. She does all the dyeing herself. The pieces in the exhibition were all dyed with iron, I think, like with yeah, iron fragments of iron, or or rust dye or something. Mm-hmm. They look kind of bloody, like kind of appendages, bloody appendages, or mummified kind of, you know, strands. So the post mordant title seems fitting. Yeah, there's a real bodily feel to the. So there's there's one piece hanging on the wall, and then there's smaller pieces on the floor. And the pieces on the floor, especially, had like a like a kind of archaeological bodily sense to them, or something. And then tell me about the film, the fireworks film that won the award. So that's um, Paolo Panuti's film. I usually live abroad. So that was the um, the Windsor Award winning piece in the exhibition, and. For that video, he was, um, he's an Italian, and so he's been here for these years doing his grad work. And this piece was really, is a video about the kind of economic crisis in Europe and in Italy and sort of those effects, but at the same time, it's it's a film that's very considerate of, like, the structure of filmmaking, so it's, um, it uses kind of different devices or even if it doesn't, maybe using them isn't the right way to term it, but it's very conscious of different filmmaking devices. So the relationship between voiceover and subtitles is is being used in a really unique manner. So he's just like using using those devices in different ways. At the same time, he's able to, to tell a story through telling stories and through like using imagery and auditory means to convey multiple kinds of meaning at once. Mm-hmm. The the visuals are really stunning. So it's it's this sort of cityscape of, is it Naples or Venice? It's Naples. Yeah, yeah. and um, a night skyscape on New Year's Eve and just these um, ex- fireworks going off everywhere, like popping everywhere. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, it's incredible. They, they blow off fireworks all through the entire city on New Year's. I guess they do that every year. Yeah, like I was saying to you when we were looking at it, it's like like a brain, like little synapses going <laughs> off, firing all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really great show. And so is there, like, you know, to think about 
students that are coming up into graduate school, is there any advice that you might have for them? There's a lot of good and bad about grad work, I would say, and I would I would just recommend like don't get lost in what's difficult or what's negative because there's going to be that no matter what you're doing, but like what grad school can really give you is 2 years of time to really work on your work and it gives you at the same time two years of access to people who are spending their time being paid to think about what you're doing. So use that. Use those people, get their feedback, and re- and consider it. Mm-hmm. And really consider what, what you're doing and the way that it's being interpreted and considered by other people. Mm-hmm. So really, like, honing, taking, immersing yourself and honing your skills. Yeah, because it's a gift. I mean, after that, you have to start working in a more full-time capacity probably again. Hi, we're back. That was my beautiful cousin, Liz Knox, an artist, and she was talking about the Emily Carr grad show. Um, And she's right. Once you graduate, you have to work. And yeah, I think I can understand a lot of people face that, like what's next? Um, Because you've been sort of sheltered in school and working towards the school and then what happens next so i'm trying not to think about that right now so but speaking of emily carr there's a great event coming up um and it is friday may 24th at 7:30 p.m and it's at the museum of vancouver and it's put on by the carl young society of vancouver and they always have their events throughout the year at the museum of vancouver Um, And I just want to talk about the Museum of Vancouver for a second. It is really one of the coolest buildings in Vancouver. It's an architectural gem, um, and it's on Chestnut Street. It's right down um, sort of in False Creek, I guess, sort of between Kitts Beach and Granville Island. And it's a beautiful spot. It looks like a spaceship. Um, And it's, to me, I don't think they're keeping up the outside as much as they could, and I'm worried down the road that they might not keep it um and it's just i think it's spectacular so please give it a coat of white paint and clean out that pond and hopefully just they can continue to attract people i think you know their their ongoing exhibition of like the artifacts that they have all the time is a little bit hokey sorry and um and you know so i know they they are trying to keep people coming in with exhibitions and there's one on now sex talk in the city that looks pretty racy um but it's on till september 2nd so we'll definitely do something on that um but yeah the it's it's a beautiful space and where the carl young society does their events it's this huge room that looks right out onto the water and it's just a really inspiring place to be um and so the it's the last one of the year and it's put on by a phd phyllis Marie Jensen. She's a Jungian analytic psychologist. She was educated at the Carl Jung Institute in Zurich, which is super cool. And she's doing um, a talk on Emily Carr and the spirit of the land. Um, And so she's talking about Emily Carr's journal and sort of how she, in her Victorian period, travels along the Northwest Pacific coast and integrating how she integrates First Nation art 
and transcendentalism into her own vision as revealed in her art and her writing. So I'm going to go to that for sure. Um, I really enjoy the Jungian Society events. They've got books you can borrow if you're a member, you can buy books. Um, and I don't need to say that Carl Jung is like my favorite person, maybe of all time. So just to wrap up that little Emily Carr theme, I wanted to play a song by a person who was honored with a honorary doctorate from Emily Carr, and that's Rodney Graham. And here's his song. It's called How to Avoid an Imbroglio. And uh, I don't know how to avoid an imbroglio, clearly, but, um, or rather, uh, nothing. But anyways, (laughs) this is a song, and then we'll be back to say goodbye. Okay, here we go.
joining us tonight on the arts report um that was rodney graham and it's called how to avoid an imbroglio and it's from his album never tell a pal a hard luck story um so just a reminder to follow us on facebook like our facebook page follow us on twitter um, we also post a blog regularly on the citr um homepage. And Megan, who's our host every other week, um, tonight is going to snag a weekly live painting art raffle at the Cobalt, um, along with her friend, illustrator Ola Volo. So that's what they're going to be doing tonight. So you can look at that on our Facebook page. There's a link there. Megan will be back on the 23rd. And then I'm coming back on the 31st of May. So I'm starting to line up some things to talk about. Um, there's a flamenco thing I definitely want to check out. I'm into flamenco after my sister was living in Spain for a while. So I think that's it. And just um, on the Vancouver theme, I sort of discovered this new band uh, this week called Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. Um, so I guess it was an early 60s kind of blues soul kind of band uh really great songs and tommy chong wrote a song for them and played in the band for like 10 days and Jimi hendrix played in the band for 10 days and most of you probably know there's a Jimi hendrix vancouver connection his aunt had a chicken stand here um and which was located on georgia and sort of maine uh, just on the edge of chinatown and it's um run as a Jimi hendrix shrine and so should um I don't think it's open all year round. But anyways, here's Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. I think it's called I'm Your Man. Um, and that's it for tonight. So thank you again for joining us on CITR 101.9 FM. This is Sarah Lapsley on the Arts Report. We'll be back next Wednesday, May 23rd, um, for another hour of arts reporting. So take care. Bye. Supply your needs from now on. Shelter you and be a pillar to lean on.